0: Hello and welcome to a brand new fresh episode of Where Do We Begin, the podcast where we have a chat to some of Australia's best and most interesting sporting personalities. So, But this episode is a bit different today. Uh, I've spoken about the Where Do We Begin mansion a few times in the show, but I hate to break it to a bit. We don't actually live or record in a mansion where uh, we're in a bit of a dungeon, I have to say. Uh, very dimly lit, very dark, can't usually see too much uh, in the middle of nowhere. Not great, but the darkness is always brightened up by the man opposite me. There's always light em- emanating from, from the big bubbly personality that is my co-host Jackson. But I hate to say it, but he can't make it tonight. So we haven't got too much squad depth here at Where Do We Begin. So it's just me, he's stuck with me, and um, I should introduce myself actually. If you're one of the few people who doesn't listen to the show, uh, my name's Harper, and, uh, yeah, so we've got an absolutely massive guest uh, that I should tell you about because I'm waffling on a bit. Uh, our guest today is Barry Stoneham. Uh, he's an absolute great of Aussie rules. If you know anything about Aussie rules in the 80s and 90s, you know Barry Stoneham. He played in two grand finals for the Cats. He's best and fairest, All-Australian, uh, just an absolute legend, centre-half forward for the Cats, played more than 220 games. So I think I'm going on a bit too much here. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now, I know that Jackson will be absolutely gutted to be missing out on this episode because we've got an absolutely huge guest. He's a legend of the Geelong Cats Footy Club. And if you've listened to the show, you'll know he and I go way back. So, Barry Stone, <laughs> and welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, nice to be back, Arthur. Thanks very much, and uh, good to speak to you.
0: Yes, um, great to have you on. So, we're in lockdown at the moment here in Melbourne. Uh, are you in Melbourne or are you a bit out in Geelong still?
1: I'm actually down, a, yeah, down in Port Lonsdale. Right? Yeah, just, uh, we've actually just cut a long story short. We, our house in Melbourne is sort of under quarantine as well due to insurance. So work's been at the last six months, which is going very slowly, and we can't live in there. So we're down in Port Lonsdale, which is not a bad place to isolate.
0: Yeah, yeah, not bad at all. But um, back in lockdown uh, when the whole country was in lockdown, what did you get up to?
1: Oh, I'm still working. So, um, I'm very, I'm one of the lucky ones, I suppose, that I'm still working full time. Um, I work for a consultancy company, um, in Melbourne and obviously we're working remotely from home. So, uh, just working from home every day at the moment on or from clients every day. Um, talking to clients, a lot of meetings. So it's sort of been still pretty busy. Um, as far as meetings go, a bit more challenging work-wise, but look, I'm still, i sort of very fortunate to actually have a, still have a full-time job at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Um, so, obviously in Point Lonsdale, but Geelong boy, born and bred. But it's a bit of a—it's not quite a big city, but it's not quite a little country town. So, what was it like growing up there?
1: Oh, look, it was, yeah, it was fantastic. It's uh, as you say, it's sort of a, it's got bigger now. The last few years since I was growing up, it's uh, really developed a lot. A lot of people relocating really like down this way in Geelong, and also the, all the different coasts, but. Yeah, it's a great spot. So I actually was lucky enough to be a born and bred Geelong person. Uh, and back in those days, there was no draft. So it was more of his own situation where obviously you play in Geelong as far as local footy goes. You're going to go and play Geelong footy if you're lucky enough. So, um, yeah, it was a great little town. I say little town. It's actually uh, really big now and a lot of population. But I was a St. Joey's college boy. Uh, a lot of, lot of schoolmates are still make of mine down here. Um, we, I moved to Melbourne. I'd say about 20 years ago, uh, but my family's still in Geelong and have ne- never left. So, you know, I'm, I'm down here as much as I can be.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it briefly there, uh, no draft back then. So, some of our younger listeners might not know how it works. So, can you explain the zone system a bit?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I suppose in my, my case, uh, when you're a young guy playing footy at the local schools and they had a scholarship squad for Geelong, Geelong scholarship squad under 16. And then you, uh, as you went along, sort of till cup was back in that was I think under seventeen Victorian state representatives. and then you more or less get invited down by Geelong Footy Club if you're lucky to um, train with under nineteens. And back in those days, under nineteens was very very competitive. There was a lot of local players and also country guys from from different parts of of, of Victorian country who were zoned to Geelong. So for example, Cobram Baruga. Cobham, in particular, where the Hawkins are from, Stephen and Buddha, uh, and Johnny Barnes. They, uh, well, Johnny Barnes came later, but Buddha and Steve were actually Geelong uh, Zone. So, a number of these sort of people who would train for the under 19s and try and get on a list uh, initially. And if if you did get on there, then you actually make your way through the ranks if if you could. So, under 19s means reserves, and if you know, on occasion, you might be invited by the senior coach at the time to train with the senior squad as a young, like seventeen or eighteen year old, which was quite daunting back then. But it was it was, it was great also because they would invite all the local players from all the different clubs that you know and grew up with. So you'd be training with mates of yours who might play for Grovedale or St. Joeys or St. Marys or or somewhere. So it was quite a a good place to be and quite a good environment.
0: Was there much of a rivalry between Melbourne and Geelong? Because I guess Melbourne might have been viewed, especially back then, as the bigger brother with all the most of the Victorian mm. teams and bigger city. Was there much of a rivalry?
1: Yeah, look, there probably was. Probably, certainly more so back then, I think, because uh, I think back in those days, going to Melbourne was a big big trip. Uh, and these days, you sort of people commute every day and it's nearly joining up, it's that close together. So, yeah, when you're younger and playing footy and certainly. To go to, go to Melbourne and play footy was, was, was exciting in a way when you're a young guy coming through the ranks. Um, you know, when we played footy early days, we'd get a bus up together as a footy club to Melbourne and obviously the bus back, which really, in my opinion, really created a great bond and and culture within the footy club. But there was a sort of rivalry. Um, because, you know, again, as a young guy growing up or a young girl, even when you go out, a young person. Um, we never went out to Melbourne. If we did, it was a really big excursion. So it was sort of one of those things where Geelong was our town, and uh, we sort of kept pride in that fact that it was our own. But on an odd occasion, go to Melbourne for the weekend and uh,
0: really enjoy. It. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I guess everyone's a Geelong fan out
1: there. No, not, not all, I mean, a lot. A lot are obviously, but there's also that um, element of other clubs. I mean, you know, it depends who they who their parents might have supported. When they were younger, um, I'm not sure the percentage wise, but I'd say be, you know a good 60, 70 percent Geelong supporters, um, even if not more. Um, but it certainly is other clubs around that they do follow. But yeah, it's certainly when you when you drive down to a game these days or any days over the years, you certainly see a lot of blue and white uh, scarves and burnies coming out of the houses, walking out and getting your park, which was which is a great feeling. And even these days, when not, not this year, of course, but. Over the years, I do a lot of corporate functions for the footy club with Billy Brownis, and um, we host a lot of their functions, and it's just one of those unique environments to go down to, a, I suppose, a regional town, regional city, and still have their own footy club, and to walk in and have that real atmosphere, like a bit like the old days of Windy Hill at Essendon and, and you know, Princess Park for Carlton and these ones. There's something special about it, for sure.
0: Yeah, so first season, 1986, how did you find out that you'd been recruited to the Cats?
1: Yeah, well, I actually played – so in 1985, I played for my local footy club, which was St Joseph's Football Club in the GFL. Uh, they are now. They were in the um, GFL back then. So I played in the seniors that year. Sorry, 84, actually. 84 it was. and played in my only senior premiership when I was 16 with them. And then the following year, 85, went to Geelong Under-19s and Reserves. So I played Reserves that year in 85, played in the final against Essendon at VfL Park. Terry here I think, was in there, and Simon the Madden, these senior players were in the Reserves final for some unknown reason. Um, and in 86, I was probably about 81, 82 kilograms, so very tall and skinny. And I'm uh, not sure exactly what round it was, but I uh, sort of was invited by the coach in '85 to train with the squad, which was uh Tom Hafey, and in '86 John Devine took over. And uh, I remember John ringing up my family um, and sort of telling me at training as well, but bringing the parents, sort of saying we're going to play Barry on Saturday, it was against Footscray, and it would have been early rounds of that year. So it was pretty exciting, and you know to be a, a young young Geelong boy and to play the club you love and used to go and watch every week was a really exciting thing.
0: Yeah, you mentioned there, Tom Hayfee, um, sacked in 85, I think, and uh, John Devine, uh, it was his first season, same season as your first season, so what yeah. was the atmosphere like with it being his first season and, I guess, a new era?
1: Yeah, look, it was, it was exciting. I mean, John was a, he, sorry, he's a premiership uh, player for the Cats, 1963, and a great man, John, he, I sort of I know his family pretty well, um, like his son, Todd and um, Aaron, and and I saw his daughters and, and his wife, so he sort of knew them over time. And have a uh, a local guy, he's a Colac boy originally, from memory, um, to come back to the club, premiership star, real t- tough, hard man, but a, a ripping guy. It was exciting for the club. So it was someone who the club knew, the town knew, and it was good for uh, good for him and good for well, for me as a young guy. I mean, we had a, a few young guys sort of in that era. I think Billy came in the same year, so we sort of had a mix of older and young. So it was a good blend. Um, and it was just sort of one of those things, that, as a young guy, 18, and, uh, you know, sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tired, I was pretty quiet. You don't want to sort of take too much out of line, training with all the senior boys. You know, I, I went down, as I said before, I went down with my sisters. uh every home game for since I was six or seven years old, and uh, they're my heroes. I and mean, I ended up playing and training with some of the guys who I idolised as a, as a young kid. So that was quite a daunting factor at the time. Um I was probably a little bit fortunate in the way that, I also did some athletics um, on the off season, and Andrew Buse and a couple of these guys who are stars at Geelong also did athletics. So I sort of half knew them before I got down there, which helped me a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, some of the players that you idolised, um, I guess you don't know them personally, but you know their playing style. Being a big Cats fan, so do you reckon that would have been like massively, massively different if you went to a Collingwood or an Essendon or something? It um, would have been a, a little
1: bit different because I just love the club that I played for. So, again, I think you're, wherever you go, you're more than happy to go and more than delighted to go. Uh, but I think for me it was just a little bit more special to grow up as a Geelong person. We, we lived, well, we lived sort of probably 1K from the ground. When I started playing, I could walk down to training. And my parents were dad is a Geelong man from day one. Um, so we sort of grew up. Loving the town and loving the club, so it was one of those things where it would have been different playing for someone else, but still would have been equally as exciting. But when my first game when I did play in the seniors, I it would have been ninety to one hundred mates, all St. joey's guys to the club, all came down and watched, which was a game was very special.
0: Yeah, so I'm um, looking into it a bit. Uh, I saw that. Between eighty two and eighty eight, uh, the Cats finished ninth, ninth, sixth, sixth, ninth, sixth, and ninth, and that was the <laughs> era where it was um, top five making finals. So, do you reckon that added to a real hunger for glory, taking that next step, next step, getting into finals?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. As said, a bit of a lean decade okay the eighty. I recall it was a young guy watching them and going to the like the Preliminary Finals. Not in 1881, I think it might have been We played two years in a row And um, should have probably Certainly won one of them At least from memory But then from there on It was pretty lean And then you mentioned Tom Hafey leaving End of 85 And with him, I think when Greg Williams Went to David Bolton to Sydney So they little real changes in the guard there were Big changes And, um, you know It was Jacko was there at the time In 86, I think uh, Mark Jackson um, We had young Gary Ablett Was there uh, so it was sort of a uh, a real mix of people, and it was sort of exciting with with John coming to the club, as I said before. With being a extra long person, we didn't have a successful three years really. We just we didn't really make the finals, um, but I think we sort of had some good young players coming through the system at that time.
0: Do you reckon you're underachieved with uh, Divine as head?
1: Uh good question. Um, underachieved. Maybe, we sort of probably, we were thereabouts. We weren't the best team in the league, so we probably shouldn't have been playing top finals. We might have sort of snuck in. I know in 87, playing at Hawthorne at the last round, actually, we we had to win to get in the final. So we we were thereabouts, and I think we were about three goals up with five minutes to play and we got beaten. So the Hawthorne rivalry, talking of rivalries, in my mind, started years ago. Um, And that was one one of the years when it was really, they always beat us at the most important games. But, yeah, we sort of, um, I think we're just a bit of a, a, a team and a club going through a, a big change. And as I said, myself and Billy and a couple of the young guys coming through, we're only still very young and raw. Um, when I played the first two or three years, I didn't play every game um, in a seniors. You got dropped a couple of times. You'd play in the back pocket or ruck or half or flank. So you weren't sitting in one spot. So it made it a little bit more challenging as a young player, to settle in one spot and, uh, and get a real good run of it. But we had some good players. Mick Turner was the captain. Um, we had some really good players in that era, but just didn't quite get in the final.
0: So 1989, Blighty comes in, and you really rock it up the ladder. Uh, how much of a culture change is there in the club to get that massive boost so quickly?
1: Yeah, it was a big, it was a big change. It was, uh, and again, John... Did a, did a good job and great guy and but you know melcolm came in with a massive aura about him being an external player and being a home medalist and being a star that he was and, and a real student of the game and this fresh face coming down i think the whole town sort of changed a bit of a uh, bit, bit of mindset as far as this could be an exciting era and, and again with players like my age is our third or fourth year so by that stage you sort of want to be Developing a little bit if you're going to be a good player and it's going to last a bit a few years because, uh, we get to sort of 2021. That's where a group of young players need to sort of take the next step. And Malcolm being the astute judge on footy, he was commentating, I think, the year before as well. I watched a lot of Geelong games and identified certain players where he thought would be able to play where. And, um, it was a pretty exciting time for the whole club when Malcolm arrived and you can sort of just feel it taking another step up.
0: So with that new coach, did he give you any personal challenges or goals to set yourself that year?
1: Yeah, he did, actually. He did. He, uh, we, we sat down and, as I said, I was, I was pretty, um, pretty slight in, in, um, in the early days. and He sort of said, for one thing, was to try and build up a little bit without going too too big. So a bit more time in the gym. But he also said to me, and I won't, I won't never forget it, but he, he said to me, he, he wants to play me centre-half forward which I hadn't played there really before. Um, he'd been watching me in the, in the commentary box the year before. And he also said, uh, we'll give you at least 10 weeks at that spot. So if you have, a, uh, have a, a, an ordinary game, we won't drop you um, because we'll give you the confidence. And, and to me, that really helped. And I think he probably took every young player. Uh, we're going to persevere with this young group. Gary Hocking, Robert Scott, Billy, um, myself, John Hamilton, a few of these guys. So... Um, He certainly, and he started teaching us the little one percenters of things you never really think about, how you tie your shoelaces on the side of the boot and how to actually aim for the right-hand goalposts and all those little things that sort of don't even sort of think about when you're playing football. But he was a very, very astute person regarding everything, preparation-wise and also game plan-wise.
0: So you mentioned you moved from centre-half back to centre-half forward. It's happened a bit uh, in more modern times, but uh, how often did it happen before you? Before me, so I was changing spots. Yeah, yeah um, swinging from uh, to the other end.
1: Yeah, look, I'm not not really sure as far as other players at other clubs. When I mean, you look at again growing up, Paul Vanderhaar and Peter Knights and all these guys, they seem to play in a one spot most of the time. They might go down and, like, to a center from a center back to center forward for a pinch hit A change occasionally. But you always sort of, growing up, watch the guys go head-to-head and have duels every time they played each other, Hawthorne, Essendon, those two players, and Malcolm Blyde. would probably be different Blyde. He played everywhere, center-forward, full-forward, full-back, the whole lot. Um, but I think the era was changing where you had to be a bit more versatile than the late 80s and 90s. And obviously nowadays, they're even more versatile, but I think you sort of had to uh, have more and one string of your bow, because if you weren't working somewhere, you need to probably change it up and go to a different spot to be a more valuable to the team.
0: So the Cats, uh, while you were there, lost four grand finals. You didn't play in all of them, unfortunately. But um did you th- ever think that you were gonna win a grand final? Uh did you were you a bit um do you reckon you got a bit cocky maybe? Uh
1: no, not no, not cocky. and not, not talking. I think we, we certainly always thought we were a chance to win one. We always, every year, go into it. And we were up to the finals most years in that 99 all the way through. We might have missed one or two years, but we were always a chance. Um, yeah, we sort of got asked that question a lot. Obviously, we, we had lost four in seven years, 99, 92, four and five. Uh, and again, this is no excuse whatsoever. But when you look back at those years, I think certainly 94 and five, we were the second best, if not the third best. We obviously second best we made the grand final but the Eagles and Carlton Footy Club were, were two dominant forces um, and 92 was probably our, nearly probably our best opportunity to win in hindsight because we were more mature we were a half, leading at half time you know we certainly were really uh, we were probably 23, 24 at that, that stage as well so you knew the game pretty well um, we certainly always had confidence of succeeding that's for sure and Malcolm had that attitude as well um, after four losses, it got a bit harder. Um, you now, the town certainly found it very difficult, and the players did after losing four. Um, and they probably had a bit of a change-up of players after that. And obviously, Gary head came in for the, the fourth grand final, 95, as coach.
0: How much did the uh, the drought and the streak of losing grand finals play on your mind as you made the next one and the next one?
1: Yeah, look, it was... Um, <laughs> We didn't, so it didn't really impact us mentally, I don't think. It was more part of the town, really, because they were impatient. Obviously, the last premiership was 63, which is a long time before that. So, you know, every year when we lost, the support was still there, and every year they came back. But you know, if we lose the grand finals, they'd get a bit more impatient. And, you know, they certainly, I'm surprised going into 94 and 5, they, they went in as a, as a spectator and supporter, a little bit anxious. Whereas as players, you don't. I mean, every time you cross that line, you always thought you were a chance to win, regardless how good the other, the opponents were. So we, we never, I know well, I didn't, hopefully the other players didn't, but I know I didn't go into a game thinking, you know, well, we lost last year. just more it's like a new year, new game, and you just go for it. So we just, unfortunately, I was listening to uh, actually Peter Akarti talking in the other, other day somewhere. Um, and he mentioned the same thing because he played 92, four and five said, look, it's just one of those things. This weren't good enough in the end. It burns away at me. Um, and never, you'll never always regret not winning one. But we had the opportunity to be there. It was a great experience. Not great at the end of the game, but you know, we're lucky enough to play there anyway. So some players don't get a chance to play in a grand final.
0: Yeah, um, obviously a one-team town, like you mentioned, just the Cats in, out in Geelong. Um, how much do you reckon that factor being the one-team town uh, increases the pressure on the team. Do you reckon?
1: Uh, yeah, look, I think um, there's a bit of pressure. There's no doubt about that. Um, but you know, it goes to the territory. You, you know, you, Geelong is a small town. Really, it, it's, you get in a milk bar or don't buy a paper or a cafe and get a coffee. You know, you are recognised, whereas in Melbourne, you're probably not as much. But again, that's that's all part of the deal. It's um, you choose to play the game and. Spectators in general are very, very good. Supporters have been awesome over the years. You might get one or two have a crack at you over the years too, but that, that's all part of it. They pay their money. But the supporters have been great. You know, they they certainly support you when going good or, or poorly most of the time. But, it, yeah, I think that, that extra pressure was just sort of there um, subconsciously in a way because we'd lost, well, we hadn't won to 63, so the town was crying out for a premiership. And I think in those days when we were playing, Things were pretty tough in the economy for Geelong where Pyramid was a – the building society went down, Ford was battling a little bit. Uh, things weren't going that strongly. We lost a couple of grand finals. They needed a bit of a boost, and uh, we couldn't really – I mean, certainly week to week in, in the finals uh, until grand final day we could actually provide it. But when, when we lost the main one, a lot of people were pretty disappointed.
0: Yeah, so um, you missed there. 94 and 95 grand finals through injury. Um, and that was mm. so you didn't play for the first half of 94. And then you played about eight games, I think. Um, and then a leg break at the end of 94. So, and then out in, for a couple of years until 96. So, how much did the leg break and just not being able to play affect your mental health?
1: Yeah, look, it, it did. And again, um, in hindsight, when you look at it now and you think about it now, it, it really did. Um, not nothing nothing bad, but back in the game, those days were about 25 or so years ago. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't sort of recognised back then. And you're right, 94, and I was at the peak of my career at the time. i just finished off a really good 93 end of the year. We didn't make the finals, but I was playing reasonable football and I was feeling good. And 94, I, I think I did my calf the first few weeks, um, calf, t- sort of recurring calf injury. And got back into us and, then, as you say, broke my leg and ankle at the same time towards the end of the season. So having missed the finals, um, I was vice-captain at the time as well. And I, I did try to come back for the finals. And, uh, again, looking back, probably shouldn't have tried at all. And then 95 missing. It certainly was a uh, it was a tough period. Um, you're a young guy. You're 25, 26. Um, things were going pretty well. your know, Footy career and all of a sudden it stops. And I think also due to my, I suppose, enduring injuries and uh, a lot of impact, a lot of effect as far as infections and a lot of operations afterwards made it a bit harder for me because I wasn't a clean break, it wasn't a clean operation. You know, I wasn't back in six months time or, or 10 weeks time. I more or less missed two years. So it was, it was pretty tough. Um, I was captain in 95, didn't play a game. And I suppose watching, Two grand finals being get belted by both Eagles and Carlton, been on the sidelines, made it all the more challenging for me. At the same time,
0: so being out for so long, what kind of support did you get um, from the club or your family or your mates? Uh, how much and how much did you get?
1: Oh, I got plenty, that, that's for sure. So all those three areas, certainly hundred percent as you expect, one hundred and fifty percent. Now, Jarvis. Friends, same, most definitely, um, really close to the people. So, and the club was the club was the same, and they they had the physios, they had the doctors, they had everyone they could help. There's no doubt about that. It was up to probably uh, me to try and deal with it. Um, I suppose now, when you look at these days In the last probably 15, 20 years, the things that are in, that are in place for the players, via the players' association, um, back they went back in place in those days. So. They have access to every professional possible, which they should. It's a, uh, it's a big, big industry and they need that as a young guy, but wasn't as strong as it probably is these days back then. But the support I had for family, friends and immediate football club was amazing. So there was no issue whatsoever. It's one of those things you got to work through as a, a young person and to get these challenges at different parts of your life.
0: Flipping over from a bit of an individual low light to some individual highlights, uh, F in 1990 and All-Australian in 92. Uh, how careful do you have to be not to let uh, those individual honours affect you and maybe get a bit cocky?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think, um, well, one thing is uh, I know if, if you ever did, your mates and your teammates and your family would bring you down. Um, and, again, I think that's the beauty of where how I grew up was uh, – the, the mates I had outside of football um, from St Charlie's and other parks i kept I still do keep very close contact with a lot of them and even more so back then um, and they sort of obviously talk footy but other things outside of footy. so you've got a be tough they'd put you in the line straight away that was that as a, a great thing about it and I, look I wasn't that sort of person either I don't think to get ahead of myself because I was very lucky to be in a situation. You know, you, you enjoy life, there's no doubt. You're on top of the world when you're young in your 20s and you know, you're playing stacked football with the best, in the best in the business and getting the best and fairest. and That sort of thing was fantastic and it was just one of those things where, you know, you, everything seemed so good and so you know uh, so perfect at the time because you're young, there's no real stresses other than getting a kick on the next, next week. So, yeah, look, it was one of those things, just the environment around me people around me really helped that course.
0: Yeah, you mentioned state footy there. The state of origin obviously hasn't been around uh, in its old form for quite a while now. Not in my lifetime, I don't think. Um, but what was that like? Was it just a bit of a um, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go do this, but I don't really care, or was it a massive honour to pull on the big V shirt? No, massive
1: honour, massive honour. It was uh, it was one of the biggest highlights of my career, if not the biggest. I mean, certainly playing grand finals up there, probably number one. State footy was amazing and. I recall a game, you mentioned how, uh, yeah, well, first down at Geelong, well, the first Victorian game I a Ted Whitten senior, who we sort of knew, because he used to commentate, it was called 3GL, and now it's called K Rock, a radio station in Geelong. So he was down here every week. So we sort of half knew him just from that, but he was bigger bigger than life. And I recall him, recall him my father on a Thursday night um, at, at their home and sort of said, yep, I've been kicked. So state footy was... Um, it was incredible. We used to drive up with his group. It was um, a few of us from Geelong actually got selected over those years. You know, we get have and Neville Bruns and Robert Scott and Couchy. And a few of us would drive up there as a group, right at the MCG on a weeknight, and you walk out and there's Tiger Lockett and you know, obviously Gary Ablett and all these stars around. Excuse <laughs> me. And it was one of those things where we'd play on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. Footy Park, or at, at the Wacker in Perth, or Subiaco, or MCG against um, Adelaide. At, sorry, in South Australia in the early ninety nines. So that was massive buzz and the crowds. I think I played in that 89 one where we beat South Australia by a huge margin, there was 90,000 people there. And they had I think it was Lockett and Ablett in the forward line, and Tim McBurnett And centre forward, and all these guys. So. Yeah, one of those things you cherish as an ex player. Uh, Andy Collins, we in the program not long ago together. We played state footy a number of times. So uh, it was funny back then. you are playing on Satellite Geelong. you fly to Perth or South Australia, um, playing on a Tuesday night, come back Wednesday, and then play Satellite Geelong again. So it was three games in a week, but you just felt so good. You felt on top of the world.
0: Do you reckon there's any chance we'll be able to get it back in its old form ever again?
1: Oh, I don't think, not the old form, I don't think, no, which is a pity, but it's a national comp, so it's sort of, uh, you know, you've got the Eagles and, and Dockers and Crows, and they're sort of, there. they've got their own sort of half-state teams, I suppose, in a way, so you won't get it back, I don't think, as it used to be, although, you know, I think there's a bit of a fair bit of noise around getting the state of origin potentially back at some stage, but it's just different, different times back then, I mean, again, it's big money these days, and it's uh, someone goes down with an injury, it's, uh, it's a big loss to the club financially as well and also to the performance of the team. And, um you know, I just think it's a different mentality now. But it's one thing that I'm, I'm so glad and happy that I was a part of in my career. I just, it's irreplaceable to me.
0: Now, I'd say you would have played on him a bit in the state of origin and, yeah, uh, well-known for having a bit of a massive media rivalry, at least with him, Glenn Jakovich. How much yeah. uh, was that a rivalry like, in real life as opposed to just the media beat up around it?
1: No, it was big as far as um, playing, on I mean, for sure. I mean, personally, all good. Um, I, don't, I don't know him that well to the different states, but, yeah, certainly in footy. And he played, I mentioned Till Cup. Um, Till Cup back in 80, probably 85, um, we played. We were the first Victorian team that, you wouldn't know this name probably. He very young. Slug Jordan was the coach, Victorian coach at the time, the late Slug Jordan. I think we was the first Victorian team to be beaten in the grand final and Western Australia, us. Oh, wow. And they had the likes of Peter Sumich, Chris Lewis, Glenn Jakovic, all these guys playing from Warsaw in the under-17. And they were big boys. But so from there on, you know, Glenn Jakovic and I, we were sitting up back, I was sitting up forward, and we were playing each other twice a year for many years. And he was... Uh, is a champion footballer. They're a champion club and team. Um, they were tough and hard and skillful and, and big, strong boys. So yeah, the rivalry between Jacko and I was was strong, um, and that's, and you love that. I think um, you see the like the, the footy these days, and you see the midfielders like Cripps and Bond and, Pelly and these guys go head to head. That's what you want. You want to see every time two teams meet, you got two players that go head to head every time, and and I, we were that, I think. And also Stuart Lowe and myself against yeah, St Kilda and Geelong. It was one of those things where, whenever we played St Kilda, I'd play in Stuart Lowe. So it was a great thing and, and two great players, that's for sure.
0: Now, I've got to ask, you were number 26 for most of your career, but having a look at it, on your debut, you were number 53. So what was that's that about?
1: Tough. Yeah, look, I don't, honestly don't really know. I think um, when I played reserves, I think I was 63. And um 53 were in the list. And 86 and uh, again you don't really think about the number at the time um, you don't really care what number you get if you have to get on the list and have a, your first game but it didn't last too long 53 and um, again it's great to have 26 for a few reasons. One because it sort of you to own your own number and it became pretty important for me now that the is 26 and i watched Tommy Hawkins very very closely and you sort of have a funny little affiliation to the guys who wear your number and I remember going to a young guy, watching, I said before, when I went down to the young kid, well, Jack Hawkins wore 26 and uh, he was one of my favourite players. And then to get his number um, and then he's, now his son wears it, it's, uh, it's quite a special thing. And um, it's just nice to watch get Tommy going so well. And as I said, you, might, you rarely see these young guys, but when you do, you sort of get that special connection.
0: Yeah, not too many uh, famous number 53s, but I noticed Lee Matthews wear number fi- wore number 53 for one game, actually. In Oops. 1973, he wore number 53 against Carlton, which was just for one game. bit weird. but Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, it's Steam
0: company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> up there with the best. Um, but yeah. So you spoke of Tom Hawkins. Have you taken up much of a mentoring role with any players at the Cats since you retired?
1: No, look, I haven't really. No, it's um, I, I, I did get involved in the on-field side for a year in uh, actually 2006, which uh, wasn't a good year, so maybe it was me. Um, Bomber was the coach. Bomber coached me my last year, and he was great for me. He kept me on when I probably could have been finished up, uh, and he, he, we had a great relationship back then. Uh, for 0 he approached me to become like a, I suppose like a part-time ruck coach slash big man coach, one night a week and then on match days become a runner. So I did that, and I enjoyed it, actually. Um, but the hardest thing, because you work full-time outside of football clubs, I didn't go into the coaching area when, when I finished. Um, I sort of preferred to go into other areas of work. So I never really became an assistant coach, but I had that opportunity to sort of help. Like Stephen King was in the ruck and a couple of other young guys. I mean, Matty McCarthy, was, he was uh, like a young forward coming through. So you sort of try and help these young guys when you could. Um, but haven't really been involved with players on field over the last few years. And, you know, because they have, well, that's like 10, I suppose, coaches, really, with development coaches and system coaches and BFL coaches. So that's a very big, um, we've got a big group of very experienced and talented coaches who, you know, can do the job. So I certainly watch closely Geelong games and Geelong how they go. Um, as I said, Billy and I, uh, still involved, keeps your finger on the pulse a little bit, in the corporate functions, but um, nothing on the field.
0: Now, uh, captain for four years, but one of those injuries sidelined, of course. But how did the captaincy affect your the new role? How did it affect your mindset and change your mindset?
1: Uh, First, it was a great great honour to be captain. No doubt about that. That's one of guy, it's up there with the best of them. And my only regret with that is I, I couldn't be at my best as a player when I was captain. Um, you know, I was certainly If it I could Hopefully I'd, I was A reasonable captain But because I'd been out For two years And I came back It took me a long time To get back into it And I think um, If I'd have been You know Full fitness No injuries And captain, I sort of think now That I could have Probably um, Had a better contra- Contribution to the team As far as You know um, more, more on the ground More stats Or more marks Or more kicks Or more of an influence On the game um, not that I was, I was still an influence on the game I've still been played But I think when you're captain You like to be your best And uh, I did my best Certainly it did take me a while To get back from injuries. And uh, at times I suppose When you look back You probably did play in your mind A little bit to think Well, you're the captain of the team you got to actually lead From the front performance wise And at times I was a bit limited Because of time, time away from the game And then coming back And have a few other injuries Due to that Absence, if that makes sense. You miss two years, you always come back with other injuries, soft mm-hmm. tissue and other parts of your body. So it was a fantastic time to be a captain. I loved it. But I just wish I sort of had been a better player for the captain.
0: Now, I'm not sure if you'd been captain of any, uh, like your junior clubs before, but did you have much of a leadership personality in your junior days?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I did. Uh, sort of, a, bit of an, a natural thing over, over the years. And like, I, was, I was always captain. When I was sort of early, early sort of mid twenties uh, at Geelong with Mark Bursto, captain. So I think as I grew as, as a player and a person, I sort of I think just naturally the leadership side came into it, um, and I, I sort of like to think it still sort of flows through to sort of life now. But I didn't really. I, I sort of as a as a junior, as a young young kid, would sort of be a, a captain because if you like, I was tall. I was under thirteens and fourteens and all these junior uh, you if you're tall and get a kick, you played pretty well. So you're sort of, uh, you know, you're probably one of those more of leaders of the young kids without even knowing it. But I think those young, the early years as a vice captain and playing with some of those names I've mentioned who uh, I look up to still now and great mates but great leaders, I think that helps you a lot.
0: Now, retirement in 2000, was that all your decision or did the club kind of push you into it a bit?
1: Uh, look, I think it was a combination of both and, and the wise move. It was, um, I, I was sort of very close to finishing the year before. Uh, injuries had taken up style. I we remember at 98, I snapped my Achilles for two groin operations in a year or so before that. So I was sort of, with my agility and what, and that's what I sort of based my game on a lot of times was my running and agility and, run and jumping sort of diminished quite a bit. So, wasn't the player I used to be? Um, end of '99, I was certainly uh, more or less. The club spoke to me, and it was more or less curtains. Um, and then Bomber Thompson, who became the new coach, wanted me to stay on for for another year to sort of help and influence some of the younger guys. And it, it wasn't like an automatic game. Uh, if I wasn't playing well, I wouldn't be playing, which is fair enough. But that sort of kept me another year. I, I was close to going to Carlton, actually. End of 99, I Remember, I met David Parkin at in, in Spargo's in Richmond Bridge Road. Um, so, I have having a chat about uh, potentially going to Carlton for a similar role. But uh, much as I sort of was very appreciative of that, I'm so so happy I stayed at Geelong, the one one club player.
0: How tempted were you to go to the Blues? I was tempted because I thought my time at Geelong was
1: up. Um, because obviously the club and all less said, yeah, you're probably time to go in a nice way, and that's, that's what everyone gets at eventually. Um, so I was reasonably close to going. Um, but then Bomber spoke to me uh, not long after Parco had, and um, they give me an opportunity to stay at Geelong. I mean, it's sort of a no-brainer. It's one of those things where you get one more year in your footy career. It's a town you grew up in and was born in, your family's there. And it was just great to sort of stay on. So it was, uh, I was very lucky to play an extra, extra year. And uh, as I said, my injuries took a stall. I remember my last game I saw my calf in the final. So uh, that was a sign
0: to me that, yeah, it's time. Yeah, uh, now you probably get this question a bit, uh, but we've got a question from a listener, actually, uh, Lou. So he asks, um, is the Geelong team of 1989-95 to 95 the best team not to win a grand final?
1: Oh, gee. Um, <laughs> well, we were, we were certainly a very good team. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to think of other teams that haven't won one over in that uh, sort of over a few years, it's putting no doubt a few around. Uh, but we yeah, having those four grand finals. We had, we had a really good staff of the team. Um, and the coaching philosophy of Blighby in particular was attacking football. Um, they get 20 yards, we get 21, you win the game. So it was attractive footy as well. And we had the superstar himself, Gazza, up the front. And we had the non ball brigade, which is very, I mean, some great on ballers over the years. Mark there, so Paul Couch, Gary Hocking were three of the best ever in my mind, um, and they were certainly superstars. With Billy Billy Brownless, who, because I suppose his media image these days probably isn't um, given enough credits as far as his footy career went. He was a champion player the Cats, um, kicking over 400 goals for Geelong, uh, and we had some really exciting players. So, yeah, look we were probably one of those where we should have won one. Just, just nice to have just won one. Um, so we're retired, and 20 years later like now, so we'll, we've won one premiership. Would have been lovely, but not today.
0: Now we mentioned old uh, Lethal Lee before. Um, now that famous assault charge incident, uh, the big hit on Neville Bruns. How much did that affect the players and the club in general?
1: Well, I wasn't there at the time. I, was, I think it was the uh, early 80s. Oh. Um, I, I certainly I recall it. I, did, I certainly recall it very clearly um, at the time as well, but and obviously the vision since. But I, uh, I'm not sure what year it was. It might have been 84 or something. Yeah. Um, so it was close to me, but it, it would have rocked the club and rocked the town. Um, but uh, it was a pretty ugly incident the whole lot. I remember even Lee was running off the ground with a uh, broken nose and something else. So it was a pretty spiteful clash, that one.
0: Yeah, now um... – Moving on post-career, I guess, uh, I'm not sure if you had some Spice Girls blaring out of the shop and some offering some Game Boys out the front, but it's one of the most 90s and 90s Geelong things especially I've ever heard, cabazzas. Tell us about cabazzas.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, Kibazas, it wasn't big enough for any uh, dancing people around. It was a uh, – so I used to live in a place in Geelong West and um, a mate of mine who was a landscape gardener at the time so, Kebabs was actually early 90s. I was still playing footy. I was at the peak of my footy. Um, and I, we sort of said there like was a spare spot down the, in a little village in Packingham Street. It's cool. Um, where he'd work during the winter when I was busy. And during the summer, I'd work when he was busy in landscaping. So, it was a kebab place. So, it was more or less takeaway kebabs, not too, not at night, uh, during the day from nine to four. Um, fast food, but been fantastic food and coffees and all that sort of thing. And it went very well. It was only a small, tiny little place. Um, went for about two or three years, I think. And then um, Billy and I decided to go into a bigger operation in Geelong, which lasted six months. That was called Players on Mallop. It was a 180 seated restaurant restaurant-slash-cafe, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and license. And we had no idea what we were doing. So uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun in six months, as you'd expect, but uh, didn't really go much further than the six months. For obvious
0: reasons, I reckon. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now uh, you mentioned your work right at the start of the show, but tell us a bit about your life now, family, anything like that? No, we don't have any kids. We've got a four-legged uh, Labrador, Um but we don't have any kids. Uh, Leanne and I but certainly
1: uh, engaged and, and uh, enjoying life, both working. My work. So since like I retired, I've sort of been. In, I've been in sales for a long time. So probably from '95, my first sales job was at Valvalone Oil Company, where the great Mark McClure was my first boss in valvalone mm. I think he's still there, ex calton chat.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I sort of went from there. And then when footy became towards sort of, I think it was 98 to the time. I was coming, not full-time, but sort of semi-full-time. So I was either re- retired from footy a couple of years earlier or resigned. So I finished up there and went to Konica in Geelong for a while. So I had a lot number of sales jobs. Um, when I finished footy, I studied uh, sort of a post diploma. I was a qualified teacher many years before that. Post diploma in sports business—that was where I was going to go. But sort of got involved in a few sales areas. In the last, well, the last eleven years, and the last year and a half, I've, I've been at a company called ASG Group, uh, which is in IT consultancy. And it's been eleven years in the industry, and a year and a half at ASG. So it's—I uh, never thought. Harper in uh, many years before that i have ever been (laughs) in IT.
0: That's
1: one thing I never knew anything about, but I've been there for 11 years now, so it's all going well.
0: During your footy career, did you plan much for your post-career life?
1: Yeah, we we sort of did, and I think, again, it became one of those things because we, for the majority of my career, we worked full-time. So we'd train at night. We sort of go. To, I'd have a full-time job. As mentioned, like Velva Lane was probably one of those more more corporate, full-time jobs in the '90s for me. Um, I have had a few other things before that, teaching and everything else. But we'd go to work from eight till say five, and then go to training at five thirty, um, and sort of work every day. So I think that's sort of again, it one of those natural progressions of when you do finish, you've got that sort of base behind you anyway of working, and I think. I, I, I think for any player in at these days, I, I was very lucky to get, to get to know a lot of the corporate sponsors of the footy club, uh, who are still friends of mine today, and uh, they, they've been a great influence and support for me over the years. So it sort of was a, a bit of planning in place, and I always like to have something in mind when I was going to finish footy, because I knew it was going to eventually end. Um, teaching degree was there, but I thought there's other things I prefer to do and um, sort of just progress from there but I think it's really important for anyone to in particular footy players these days to have something planned in places and finish tomorrow you can do your knee um, you can do it three or four times and we've got Dan Menzel who's going to be a great player and he's not playing anymore in the AFL because he had three or four knee operations so he can finish any tick of the clock
0: yeah exactly uh, now we've got one more listener question this is from another Barry and he's a big Cats fan so um and he might be uh, Chris Scott Burner account, actually might want to get you on the coaching panel, but uh, he asks, what three changes would you make to the current Cats side to turn them into a premiership team? Oh,
1: gee, <laughs> even personnel-wise.
0: Oh, oh, well, not not personnel-wise, I don't think. I think he's just talking about the general tactics or anything.
1: Right. Gee whiz, that's a tough one. Um, I've, got to watch a bit cl- I've got to watch a bit closer as far as the, the game's at the moment. I think as far as just generally speaking, so no, too long as I was included in, in this, but just a general view of the games at the moment and that's been a tough year. So probably try and put a little bit of this this year away from a, from the side. But the last couple of years, it's, been, it's very, very congested. I mean everyone speaks about that, of course, but I always think back to not, not going back, nothing worse than being a past player saying back in our day, however, um, even late 90s and early 2000s, when even after I'd played Um, there were set spots on the ground and there was always those jewels. And I think the crowd and the players and the sport needs that sort of excitement in the game. And congestion makes it a pretty unattractive game at times. Um, I think, again, it's just generally, it's not too long, but kicking backwards too much is annoying. Um, And I think that's a really, not a a, a blight in a game, but certainly... uh, slows it down and all of a sudden people are fighting back and there's sixteen players in the in the forward half. So those sort of things I think are really important. I think Geelong's look, well, Geelong's uh, last even have an amazing era the last few years. They've had won three flags since seven. They've been in a few prelims, they've been in finals most years. So they've been very, very good. Um, they've got a pretty attacking when they play attacking footy, they are they're unstoppable at times. And uh I look I sort of that old adage of Attack. You need a good defence, which they do. Defence is sound, very sound for the cat. And um, the forward line, when they attack, move the ball on quickly, um, be it by foot or hand. That's when they play their best footy. I reckon when they start zigzagging around and chopping and changing, and slows the game down. But they're better when it's actually the ball's going forward quickly. We've got some dynamic players, I and mean, they have got to utilise those players more.
0: Yeah, well, I think that just about wraps us up in terms of questions, but I believe we've got a guest fan on the line. James, are you there? I am, Harper. Hey, uh, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, well, now we've got you on the quiz uh, as a bit of a Jackson replacement, I guess, uh, so it's going to be you up against Barry uh, on the five-question quiz. Have you listened to the show before?
1: I have. I've listened to a handful.
0: Uh, early, early days. Yeah, well, I guess you'll know how it works. Um, so, uh, Barry, you know how it works as well. Your name's your buzzer. So yeah, uh okay. to say I got one
1: out of ten last time, so uh, yeah. got not much to vote.
0: Yeah, well, Andy's not here this time, so I think it might be a bit more competitive. Yeah. But anyway, here we go. Yeah. So, uh, question one. So, Geelong, uh, it's, I guess, the second biggest city in Victoria, and a few other uh Fairly big cities uh, around the states in Australia. So, um, can you rank the following Australian cities in terms of population from highest to lowest? So, the three cities are Cairns, Newcastle, and Geelong. Barry. Barry, go for it.
1: Newcastle, Geelong,
0: Cairns. Correct. Uh, so, Newcastle's uh, seventh biggest city in Australia with four eighty k. Uh, Geelong's 12th with 260, and Cairns' 150k, 15th. So we'll move on to question two. Barry's 1-0 up. Question two. So uh, Feb 9, your birthday, Barry, yeah?
1: That's right,
0: yeah. Yeah, so uh, on February 9, just this year, um, Parasite became the first non-English language film to win the Best Picture at the Academy Awards. What country is Parasite from? Rockets. Have you heard of the movie before, either of you? Never heard no, of it. Never heard no. of it. Oh, well, I'll give you a clue. It's, um, it's East Asia. Okay. James. James, go for it. Thailand. Thailand is incorrect. <phone rings> Barry, do you want to have a stab in the dark? I might be fool myself, so I won't. Oh, that's all right. Well, the, anyway, the answer is South Korea. Uh, I wouldn't have known. Uh, If you got Stan uh, I'd recommend Giving that movie a watch It's pretty good It's, uh, I'm pretty underrated Even though will got, got The Academy Award I reckon But anyway We'll move on to Question three So uh, Barry You are All-Australian In 92 Bet you'll name it Centre-half back uh, Even though I don't think You played centre-half back That year Which is a bit weird No But uh, anyway So can you name The three Centre-half forwards uh, From the 90s In the All-Australian teams James James just got in. Um, Wayne Carey. Yeah, continue. Um, Stuart Lowe. Yeah, and one more. um, Corey McKernan. Corey McKernan is incorrect. Barry, do you want to have a go? Uh, Yeah, will it be Chris Grant? Chris Grant's correct. Well done. Uh, Yeah, famous dogs player, of course. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Barry's doing much better than last time. Tune it all up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we'll move on to question four. So, born in 68, Barry, on January the 21st, 1968, which battle of the Vietnam War, made even more famous by song, began? It's a pretty famous Aussie song, James. Hey, Sam. Yeah, the Battle of K-San is yeah. correct. So that's 2-1 to Barrett's heating up. But as you've both listened, listened to the show or been on the show before, uh, last question is uh, who am I? So we're going to go down from five points with a series of clue, all, clues all the way down to one point. And once you've buzzed in, you can't buzz in again until you've gotten it wrong. So all good with that, guys? Yep, Yes. Yeah. yeah, so James, you need two points to take the win here. So uh, for five points... I'm a former footballer, uh, Aussie rules footballer, who was born on the 3rd of June, 1983 and played 208 games. I'll move on. (laughs) That might be a bit tough from the five points, so I'll move on to the four points. A physical defender, I only kicked 29 AFL goals over my career at the one big Victorian club. Anyone want to have a crack or should I continue? Please continue. Okay, I'll go on. Continue, to, yes. Go on to the three point one. So I was listed at 193 centimetres tall, and I was named on the half back flank in the 2009 All Australian team. The same year in which I became captain of the club that drafted me as a mature age recruit in 2004. Yeah, uh, you got me here. They're hard, these ones. I can go into the two points, but James, you going to get on the two points to win. Should I keep going? Yes, I've got no idea at this stage. Yeah, bit tough. Uh, so for two points, despite playing in three grand finals in over two years of the early two, 2010s, I only won one premiership. So Sorry. Three, Tony, Tony would play, is he? Uh, I can't give you that, but you can have a guess. <laughs> uh, Barry. Barry.
1: No, it was one club player, wasn't it? Not James, not like
0: James Clement. No, nah, that's incorrect. Uh, so, do you want to have a go, James? What club did it play at Harper? Oh, I can't tell you that, but I can. all I'm saying is that uh, it was a big Victorian club and he played in three grand finals in two years of the early 2010s. <clears throat> so you can probably work out the club from that. Oh, Brendan got us. Brennan Goddard is incorrect. So uh, you're both back in it now, so I'll move on to the one point. But, uh, James, you can go for the draw, and we'll do a tiebreaker question if you get it here. So for one point, following Nathan Buckley's retirement. James. I, James. James. Nick Maxwell. Nick Maxwell is correct. Uh-huh. He's tied it up at two all, and we are going to go to a tiebreaker question. Good St. Joey's boy, Nick Maxwell. Good St. Joey's boy. Yeah, yeah. that's boy. make all the questions related to your career, Barry. So St. Joey's, that's why I chose Nick Maxwell. We're going to go closest to the pin for this one. <laughs> uh, what is the population of Geelong? Barry. 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 Oh. <sighs> okay. Um,
1: present day. So 350,000.
0: 350,000 is incorrect, but I'll throw over to you, James, because it's close to the pin. It's uh, 200,000. Uh, 200,000 is also cr- incorrect, but as Barry said, uh, wait, what did you say, Barry? Did you say 350 or three uh, hundred? 350. 350. Oh, so James just edges it out. It's 253,269. Oh. So congratulations, James. You've taken the win against Barry Stonham. Thank you very much, Harper. Pleasure, pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Well done, James. Thanks very well, really much nice for coming on. Uh, yeah, well done, Barry. Thanks for thanks for
1: the contest. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> another losing grand final.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations. Yeah, probably one of the big highlights of your career. But I think we'll just leave it there for now. So, massive thanks for coming on, Barry and James, of course.
1: Thanks, Harper. Thanks very much, Harper. No worries at
0: all. Oh, how good was that? Usually, uh, I've got Jackson to back me up, and he says, Harper, oh, that was bloody good, but Jackson's not here, it's only me, and I'll just back myself up. That was very, very good, absolute cracker of an episode with the great Barry Stone. A massive thank you for coming on again, Barry, if you're listening. Uh, so Barry mentioned in the podcast that he, he had a job at Valvoline, and now he's in IT, which is a bit of a weird route, weird career route for a former footy player to take, So, but you had a, quite a few of those back in the day where all the players had full-time uh, jobs back in the old retro footy. So uh, there's been some famous ones where there's been cops and firefighters and farmers, all kinds of things. So uh, we're going to put something up on the socials. I won't talk too much about it in the outro itself, but we'll put something up on the socials. What are your favourite jobs of former footy players back in the day when they all had full-time jobs? So if you want to check out the question and reply to it, uh, have a look at WDWB pod. That's WDWB pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we're at, where do we begin? On Facebook or facebook.com forward slash WDWB pod. And um, yeah, so we'll put something up there. Make sure you reply to it or give us an email as well. Uh, that's in the description down below. But we're going to continue on the music thing we've been doing for the last few weeks. I've absolutely loved this and I hope you guys all have too. Uh, So we try to get the name out there of some up-and-coming bands that might not be so well-known to mainstream society and be listened to by many mainstream ears. But uh, these guys are absolutely worthwhile. We only get people on if they're worthwhile. And this band is an absolute cracker. They take a lot of inspiration from ACDC. They call them Australia's greatest ever rock outfit, which I think is pretty undeniable. So they pay homage to some old-school rock music, the only way they know how by Rockin' Hard, with guitars blazing, attitude dripping, sweat-sustained heads banging, and testosterone-pumping, high-energy rock and roll that puts the heart and soul back into Australian rock, in the words of the band themselves. So uh, the band is called Rockin' Volts, and they're made up of uh, a few members. Uh, on drums is Dean, and uh, you've got Hayden as well on vocals and bass, and Dylan on guitar, and you've got, of course, Tyler on guitar and vocals. So these guys released a debut EP, Back in September last year, a while ago, but it's a self-titled track called Rockin' Volts by Rockin' Volts, obviously. So we're gonna get into that. But just before I do, if you are a musician and you're interested in getting your stuff on the show, give us an email. We're at where do we begin pod at gmail.com. So make sure you give us an email if you want to get your music on the show. But I think I should stop waffling on and I'll get straight into the track. Here it is, rock and volts. By rock and vaults.